What a, a tremendous time to be gathered together. And I know it's always challenging in the midst of the world that we're living in. We start a new series today called Lacking Nothing. How many of you are lacking nothing? How many of you went through this week saying, there isn't a single thing that I want or that I need? Several of you, praise God. There seems to be an age demographic with that. I don't know what that has to do with anything. Um, David and Sujana were out Buffalo sighting this past week. And uh, great to see you guys. If you are visiting with us today, I'm doing my best Mr. Rogers right now, cleaning my glasses. You like this? It's kind of commanding respect from you, the old grandfather-like kind of thing. Well, I remember back in my... Oh, there you are, Peter. Um, if you're visiting with us today, we have uh, the cards in the back of the chairs. Let us know who you are. Let us know how we can pray for you, uh, how we can serve you and minister to you. A little bit later in the service, you're going to hear about exciting things that are coming up starting this week and then continuing on uh, as we move forward in ministry throughout the month of October. We start a new series called Lacking Nothing. It is a series in the book of James. And those who are familiar with scripture, who have a, a lot of history in the church, whenever you say James, they get excited. It's just this, you know, boots on the ground, grassroots, really practical kind of book. We're going to take a little bit different approach in my studies and in praying through how to approach the book. Uh, this is my first time since being at CBC that I'm preaching a series over again. And I make a promise to you, I have not accessed my notes from 13 years ago. So whatever you get is going to be fresh, it's going to be a new perspective, and what I want to do with that is I want to go back when I'm done with this series and do a comparative analysis. It's going to be kind of interesting. So our angle, our theme, our focus throughout the entire series is this idea of lacking nothing. What does that mean? How will that theme focus us on every beautiful principle from Scripture that James passes on to us? Well, let me give you a little bit of background into the book of James, all right? So this is going to help you a little bit on a perspective level. So scholars, most scholars think it was written between 40 and 50 AD. It's one of the earliest New Testament books that was chronicled. Um, and it was written by who? See, nothing gets by you guys. Not a single thing gets by you guys. Um, James, but does anybody know which James this is? Okay, look, I'm just going to sit down now since you all know everything about everything. Yes, the brother of Jesus. Isn't it interesting? Now, if you were Jesus' brother... Imagine this, Fernando, you're Jesus' brother, and you're going to write something, you're going to put it out, it's going to be one of the first letters that circulates. Would you put Fernando, <clears throat> the brother of Jesus? I, I probably would, because if I want people to pay attention to it, I'm like, well, who is Jeremy? Jeremy really isn't much of it, you know, but let me throw down that, that title, let me throw down that, uh, that nepotism angle, right? Fernando, you're a much classier guy than I am. Um, James doesn't do that, does he? 
And so just in the title, we learn something. That in Christ, you have all authority in heaven and earth if what you are saying is from the Lord. You don't need some other credential. You share that same adoption. You share that same right. You share that same authority that's found in Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? James felt no compulsion to drop a name. To drop a name. So suddenly we, we have some impetus here and we start to see James writes a book, but the question is why? And who is he writing the book to? He's writing it to the Jews. You see it in, in uh, verse 1 of chapter 1. Uh, he's writing it to the Jews that are spread out throughout the kingdom. Do you have any idea what was happening to the Jews or the Jewish believers around 40 and 50 AD? Let me just mention some people. Uh, Nero, Caligula, uh, um, uh, Titus. Uh, the, you know, I could just keep going through the different Roman emperors who sought to persecute Jewish believers. So now that you know why he is writing the book, it helps us understand what we're about to hear. Does that make sense? So let's look, let's start to unpack this this morning. Our theme is lacking nothing. And so um, how many of you remember poor old Chuck? Not poor old Chuck. Our Chuck is great. He would never miss the football. But poor old Charlie Brown. He just never got it, did he? I, I can so empathize with this guy, right? And my wife just laughs at me. She thinks, why do you keep thinking inanimate objects or people who don't even know you are against you and seeking to sabotage your life? And it wasn't until now I was able to synthesize the thought that now I can say to her, just remember Lucy, right? You think it's a conspiracy theory, but why did Chuck never get it? Why did poor Charlie Brown keep trying to kick and land on his back and suffer the grief and everybody mocked him? And was it his fault he was missing the ball? No. So what robs you of your joy? What robs you of your joy? Don't get chucked. <laughs> There's something I want you to walk away with today. Don't get chucked. When I think about some of those things that have very little meaning, but can sneak up and rob you of your joy, this past week, my wife and I and Brad and Nancy got to go up to our pastor's conference, and we're heading up into an area where there's fires uh, in the sequoias. So there was a chance we weren't going to be able to stay long. And uh, you all lived through last summer, a little bit of this summer, where we'd be outside for service and there'd be smoke, and, and it would start to change your perspective on being outside, wouldn't it? Maybe it would even start to dominate your thinking and rob you from being able to focus on worship. So I got that hanging in the back of my mind. Well, how good is this? Am I wasting my time? Really was a legitimate thought in my mind. Am I wasting my time? Am I wasting Brad and Nancy's time driving up for four and a half hours 
to a conference where I know most of our friends aren't able to make it, and I don't even know who's speaking, and we're probably going to have to leave. You ever have those days? But we went. We persevered. We were steadfast. And at the end of the last session, I did something I've never done. They were wrapping up. It was the director of the conference. And I just raised my hand. And he called on me and I said, I don't know if I'm misspeaking. I, I don't know if this is incorrect or, or inappropriate, but I'm compelled to say thank you. Because I've been going to this conference for near 30 years. And hands down, this was the best conference I've ever been to. Now, I would have missed it if I'd gotten chucked. Right? I would have missed it if I'd gotten chucked. I would have missed it if I let the smoke rob me of my joy. We walked out Wednesday morning. Uh, Hume had given over a lot of the resources to the local firefighters. They were housing them. They were feeding them. And so we had to go into other areas. They fed us in broom closets, and they kept us in cages. And I don't know how we survived. And uh, horrible food, right? It was the worst. And, uh, but we walked out on Wednesday morning, and the forestry service had given them a measuring instrument for the particulates in the air, that part that you're now familiar with, the AQI, right? And the highest it goes is 500. And it was north of 400 on Wednesday morning. So, like, we get scared when it's around 90 around here. The highest we've ever seen it or experienced is in the low twos. It was at 400 or north of 400. Mm, I'm about to get chucked. Right? I'm about to get my, my joy stolen from me. And so we stuck through it. Some people had already decided to leave. Some had left. And maybe that was the right choice for them. But we came out of our morning session and the skies were blue. And our joy was reestablished. And then I proceeded to beat Brad. Here it is, Brad, I gotta do it. Proceeded to beat Brad in disc golf. And so that was the whole reason we stayed and my joy was made complete. All right, let's move on. <laughs> let's get to the text now that I've salted this a little bit. James 1, and we're in verses 2 through 4 this morning. Read with me where uh, James starts in with something that's so paramount to our Christian walk and to the world that's going on around us. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, how many of you know that verse? You have been familiar with that verse for a long time. We're going to have some fun here. Because I'm going to shift your thinking. Actually, I'm not going to do anything. Hopefully the Lord shifts your thinking. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Who is he writing to? The Jewish church spread abroad throughout the Roman Empire that's being persecuted. Not a bunch of believers in a bougie kind of worship service with good air conditioning and indoor plumbing and donuts to be served. Okay? So let's get real about what we're about to hear. 
He knows who he's writing to, and he starts by saying, count it all joy. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, and here it is, lacking nothing. Lacking nothing. This morning, my question is, what are you lacking? What are you lacking? And so, when we think about being robbed of our joy, what is it that sneaks in there and takes that away? Said of Christ, in Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. There's the perfect Christ example of what James is talking about. We tend, and our society tends, our culture tends to say, when we go through hard times, it's overwhelming, it's too much. It is to steal your joy away. I think we're going to find out, and we're going to have a revolutionary movement within our hearts, our minds, and our souls this morning about how to deal with those overwhelming trials and how to perceive them when they hit us. So let's look at this. What do you lack? This is the entire point of emphasis of this scripture. When I said I was going to change your mind on this, are, are you ready? How many of you memorized, if I were to say, lacking nothing, or that you would be complete and perfect lacking nothing, how many of you would have known that was from James 1? But if I say, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, how many of you would know it was James 1? I think this is a defective process of teaching. I think the teaching we've had on this and that I've had on this over the years focuses on how we feel. When we look at Scripture and try to use Scripture based off of our needs, our feelings, yes, it does work. But when you start to do that, you miss the main point. Have you ever given instructions to your kids or you're coaching someone and you start with the details and you finish with the purpose, right? You need to clean your room, you need to bathe the dog, and you need to watch a half hour of Spongebob. Why? I'm good, I'm good with that last part, but why? Because your grandparents are coming and you need to be out of energy, number one. You need to be placated, number two. Number three, I need those other, other things done. Oh, now I know why I need to do those things. Which is the point of emphasis? Those three tasks? Or grandma and grandpa are coming? This is the surreptitious teaching that we've been doing with this passage. The main point for you and I to grasp from this for the Jews that were scattered abroad was, look, God's intention in your life is that you are lacking in nothing. You are able to persevere. You are able to stand firm. See what I'm doing? I'm working backwards. What's the next part? So that when you experience trials of various kinds, what? You're able to maintain your joy. You see how when you work backwards from the purpose, it actually kind of flows a whole lot better. 
One of the reasons that maybe we lack perspective, even the world gets this, the Wachowskis got it in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, with the uh, predictive or prescient series called The Matrix, which they're about to unload a new one. But there's a great illustration in that movie that pastors have been using ever since, which was the red pill, blue pill. And Morpheus comes to Neo and says, haven't you ever wondered about this world you're living in? You know it isn't the way it's supposed to be, Neo. Now, you can choose to live in that bliss and go on just as you have and take the blue pill. You go back, you forget about me, you forget about all of this. Or the truth can set you free. You can have your mind opened up. It's not going to be easy. But you will no longer be lacking in understanding what's really going on. Red pill, blue pill. Even our carnal world understands this concept. That when it comes to the process, and here I'm going I'm to foreshadow a little bit, when it comes to the process of us examining that lacking nothing, there's a huge challenge in really contemplating what does that mean how do we look at that in God's economy? How do we look at that in the world's economy? Where is my satisfaction? Where is my perseverance rooted in and grounded in? By the way, I missed one thing in there. The testing of your what? Your faith. You've heard me over the past several weeks talk about how I'm hearing believers upon believers talk about how they're rattled, they're shaken in their faith. How great it would be to be an unshakable body of believers who lack nothing. Part of the challenge is that we don't have a heavenly perspective. And this is kind of like that red pill, blue pill, that if we start thinking the way God has intended us to think, then what's fascinating is that suddenly our perspective changes. We've taken the red pill. We open up to what God is doing, what God has for us, and what God is preparing for us. And that starts to help us navigate these trials. It helps solidify our faith. It helps us be complete, right? So let me give you another perspective on this from another apostle, the apostle Peter. He says almost the same exact thing out of 1 Peter 3 through 7. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Heavenly perspective. Thank you, brother. Heavenly perspective. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, can I? If I have a heavenly perspective, I can. And I can do it without getting chucked. Sorry, Chuck. I keep looking at you whenever I say that. It's not on purpose. I'm just... It's my rhythm. I'm moving right here. I was thinking about it when I got here, and then by the time I finished, it was boom, right on you. Let's continue on. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Anybody have something break on you or get stolen? 
recently. We, we've been blessed to have this great house. I call it a chateau. I call it Chateau de Cristo. Uh, y'all are invited anytime to come on out and uh, sup with the pontiff. And uh, in the backyard, there's this over-the-top feature that I'm like, oh, gosh. But there are members in my family that love it. It ministers to them. And it's just this waterfall feature. You know what you have to have for a waterfall feature? You have to have elevation. You have to have a pond. And you have to have water. Now, I had that for a long time, but the water never moved. So what else do you have to have? You have to have a pump. Let me just tell you about pumps. I've been chucked on pumps as of late. And the last thing was, before we left for our conference, I wanted that thing working for my mother-in-law so she could just tell you-know-who, starts with an A, connected to Amazon, to please turn on the, you know, and then it just goes. And she sits in her sunroom, and she can hear the water, and it just ministers to her. So I got a different pump. We're on our third pump now, and I have to get down in this sludgy, grimy water that's cold, and then I have to remove all this heavy rock to get access to where the pump is. Then I have to try to not electrocute myself and figure out what's going on. So I finally pull the old pump out. I go with a different pump. It comes in on Saturday. Sunday, I go to install it. I don't have the right fitting, so I have to go to Home Depot. I get the right fitting for the hose, and then I come back, and guess what I did wrong? I didn't take the right part of the pump with me, so now the fitting I got doesn't fit. So now we're going back to Home Depot again, and my wife can feel it. There's a traffic jam on Lone Tree Boulevard where there wasn't a half hour ago. I get to Home Depot, and now the register doesn't work. And my wife can hear it ramping up in me. I'm getting chucked. And, and she's like, I don't understand what's wrong with you. I said, do you not know that the universe is aligned against me? Can you not see this? I finally get the right part. We get there, and it still doesn't fit. So now I'm using duct tape. When you get to duct tape on a project, it is bad. So now I'm standing in freezing cold water. It's dark. I've got headlamps on. I've got torches burning. I'm lighting incense to keep away the satanic stuff that's going on. And, and I'm standing there, and I'm supposed to be packing for my trip. And so now Janine's out there trying to help me. Bill's out there trying to help me. And, and we need a, a new hose clamp. I'm trying to tighten the hose clamp. Boom, it breaks. There it is again, getting chucked again. You got to be kidding me. And Janine's all, you're ridiculous. And, and so... Now it's like, let's use zip ties. So now I get the zip ties. And then all of a sudden, oh, great timing, Bill. He shows up with 14 clamps. You know, now I've got zip tied and duct taped the hose on. Now I use a clamp and I finally get it there. And now this is, after all that, we are like right at the point of jubilee, to borrow a biblical term. And I go to put it in the little tub thing and the pump comes apart and soaks all the electronics. And I just stand there. And it's almost as if God pulled that football back himself. And it was a release of all my angst. And I said, that's it, everybody. We're done. Go in. Pack it up. We're done. And for the next two hours, I had to pray to release that ugliness, robbing me of my joy. I didn't have a heavenly perspective, did I? Because that Sunday, some amazing things had happened. I lost my heavenly perspective. 
And I let ridiculous things grab hold of my heart. By the way, I was able to go out the next morning, spend five minutes, get up working. It works great now. So for those of you that think that I was overreacting, that proves my point. <laughs> Let me finish this passage out of Peter. To an inheritance that is imperishable, your pump ain't going to break in heaven, okay? That's my point. Undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And here it goes. Just almost the same exact message. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. To be complete is to be able to, in all circumstances, give glory to God and live within his power and his grace. Amen? So when Jesus, who presents that relationship with the Father, a loving Father, the giver of all good things, the Father of lights with, with, the, with which there is no shifting shadow, he doesn't want you to be sitting in a pond screaming your head off at an at a object. He wants you to have an inheritance that never perishes. He wants you to see his work through you. He wants you to experience joy that is never robbed. And in order for that to happen, guess what has to exist? Trials. Trials have to exist. And yet, I think the subtext of what we're always taught is that trials and being overwhelmed by trials is such a bad thing. Let me try to open your eyes to this. Prayer, well, number one, when we say we're lacking nothing, what do you lack? Do we lack a heavenly perspective? Do we lack prayer that changes the world? Do we lack the process of using our giftedness to bless others? How great Rebecca and Trinity standing up here. How great that Joe has that conviction to bring up that next generation. How wonderful that we use our giftedness. What about relationship? How many of us have relationships right now that are trials? That there's no joy in that relationship. What are you willing to do to fight for it? Jesus went to the cross for his relationship with you. Because in Christ, if you have steadfast faith, you can not just endure the trial, you can have joy, even if there is a temporarily broken relationship. Sometimes we have to suffer to truly stop wasting what we have. Jim Elliott has a great quote that applies here. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So here's the meat of what we're looking at today. What's being served? Number one, joy. Number one is joy. And so what, what does that mean? It means a great cheerfulness or calm delight. I love that definition biblically. 
a, a, a great cheerfulness or calm delight. My, wa- my wife wished I had calm delight on last Sunday night. When we look at joy, the issue is not just so much knowing what that is, is that it exists within our life even when the trials come. Somebody asked me on a ministry level, you know, who, who do you want to be and how do you see yourself as being successful? And I said, I want to be the 80-year-old pastor that doesn't get rattled by too many things and doesn't stand on the platform of um, all the debates that happen within my world but can truly see with the heart of Jesus and with a simplistic life demonstrate and manifest the love of of God. I want to be that guy right now so that I can endure those trials. What are these trials? It's the same word found in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and, and many of you are familiar with this, right? No temptation has overcome you except that which is common to man. It was something I taught in our crisis response uh, class, uh, ABF, a few months ago. Um, it's interesting. It's the same word. Now, in, in 1 Corinthians 10, it's tempted. Here in James 1, it's trial. Who's right? They're both right. Because this word, uh, this, the, the interesting thing about Greek is Greek can have multiple applications. It's the context that drives which one you're going to choose for the one word, right? So the same word is found in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It's this word, parasimos, okay? And it can mean discipline, having a discipline. It means that when put to the test, you prove, right? Remember math, doing proofs? Proving your work? It can also mean temptation, So when he's talking about trials, he's talking about a lot of different things, not just this idea of being tempted by sin. Testing of faith. We see the testing of faith, and we've already read the first Peter passage where Peter reiterates this. Now, of all people to talk about testing of faith, Peter's kind of the authority on it, right? And so Peter is speaking from experience, and he says, that we have this great and glorious inheritance waiting for us that will not perish. But right now, you're going to have to go through trials. You're going to have to go through difficulties because it is there for the testing of your faith. Our reaction so much of the time in, in, in my own life or in many people's lives I hear around me is that testing of your faith shows that God isn't real. Testing of faith somehow comes across with this understanding that God is lacking somehow. Do you know he has built it in? Why would he do that? Watch this. The whole purpose to what James has said so far. God has built in the testing of your faith so that what? You would be lacking in nothing. You would be lacking in nothing. Steadfastness. So this word, depending on NIV, who's got an NIV out there that you're using? Anybody? Anybody actually using a Bible today? Okay. 
Laura, what, what does your NIV say there instead of steadfastness? Uh, the James passage, um, where it says, uh, it's going to be, I think, still verse 4. Yeah. Perseverance. For those of you that have a NASB, I think it says patience. So here again, the Greek word has a myriad of different um, emphasis, and the context drives the emphasis, but you get the point, right? It is a betterment and a maturing of who we are, and it creates a dependency on God, and it is a result of what? Of pushing through trials. He also, well, and so he also puts a point of emphasis on it, right? When those things are there in full effect, when is it that you're going to acquire the, um, uh, <clears throat> hello, when is it that you're going to acquire this, this blessing of lacking in nothing? When perseverance and steadfastness are in full effect, not a modicum, not two-thirds, but in full effect. And by doing that, then we become complete, perfect, and lacking in nothing. So let's talk about testing in faith as we finish up today. Tested faith brings depth of character. How many of you desire for your children to have zero character? You don't want them to go through any kind of a challenge or any kind of learning. They're just going to skip school altogether uh, because they don't like it. And so why go? And you're like, are you insane? I get like six hours a day to myself, right? It's state-run babysitting. Thank you very much. No, the real purpose is that you want them to mature in their understanding. Your heavenly father is that same way is that he wants you to mature in your understanding of him. And this, in effect, becomes complete. Well, that requires a testing of your faith. We say there are so many people who name Jesus as Lord and Savior, and yet they never exercise their faith. And when the difficult times come, when the challenging times come, their faith crumbles. And there's not much of a foundation there. This is why there has to be, why there has to be something better than duct tape holding together our spirituality. Tested faith enables us to comfort and encourage others. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5 speaks about this, right? Tested, tested faith increases dependence on God for wisdom. How often do we go to the Lord seeking wisdom? That'll be a theme that we cover in James. Or we just make the decision on our own. There are so many that have moved out of California. That was a standing joke at the conference. There are so many that have moved out of California because they're just tired of what it means to live in California. They want to go to a what? They want to go to a more comfortable place where they're not facing trials of many kinds. It was fascinating. I, I was at a church where the pastor was having a nervous breakdown. He told more stories about Arnold Schwarzenegger than he preached the Word of God. 
And as an illustration, he decided to flip off the entire congregation and thought it was funny. It was about that time and after an inappropriate comment to my wife that I felt we should probably move on. And everybody told me, yeah, move on, except one person, save one person, a mentor in my life. And he said this, if you leave, then you leave all those people under his shepherding guidance. Where will the voice of truth come from? If we continue to leave the front lines of California, where will the truth come from? But see, that's not how we're training ourselves to think, is it? We're thinking about how it's cheaper to live somewhere. Wouldn't it be great if we just said, Lord, I'm going to lean on your wisdom, and if you're calling me to stay here and be in the battleground here in California, then provide what I need to make it happen. I'm making, I can tell right now who's already looking at the brochures in Idaho. You are so nervous. I can see it in your eyes. Okay, I get it. I'll move on. Testing faith helps us identify with Christ, Matthew 4, 1 through 11. I don't have time to go through those passages. I just want you to reference them and write them down. This morning, my question is this, or the obvious question is this. How does this help so that we're lacking nothing? Isn't it ironic that going through trials of many kinds actually helps us? And because of that, we grow in our maturity, we grow in our faith, our faith becomes more established, and there's joy in it. We no longer get chucked. Hear me clearly, the struggle is real. Your pastor does not live in an ivory tower. The struggle is real, I get it, but brothers and sisters, I would much rather live in the grace of God and the power of God and have the joy of seeing him work. It happened this morning. I'm standing here and we have 10 people in the room. And I start going through my vitriol. Really, Lord? Do our people have such a lack of passion to be on time to church? Or whatever those things are that keep us from being here. And it all starts in my mind and starts stealing away my joy and starts stealing away my joy. And then I see who? I see Rebecca and Trinity up here. And then I see Scott playing bass. And he has a mask on, but I can see his smile a mile wide. So proud of his daughter. All the while, his wife, Katie, has stepped up to run our media because we desperately need it. And the Lord reminds me of that. He says, where did you think I went? Where did you think I went, Jeremy? Pastor Jeremy. Then I see my friend Fernando walk through the door. And then I see some visitors come through the door. And then I have a moment with the Holy Spirit that I've been begging for for three and a half years. Just incredible joy. Incredible joy. I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world because my faith got tested this morning. And because of His power and His grace, it is rock solid.
so I will not be applying at Home Depot tomorrow. <laughs> the, Christian, <laughs> the Christian's greatest joy is found in letting God fully possess everything that is God's. All right? Difficulty and joy are mutual friends. Really? <laughs> that is a radical thought. You want to be progressive? There you go. Live with that. And then lastly, yes, the struggle is real. Just make sure you don't get chucked. All right, let me close in prayer this morning, and then we're going um, to move forward with our worship. And uh, I want to just give it a moment. We're going to do something a little bit different um, moving forward as the church, and we're going to have a moment of prayer, praise, and response um, to see what the Lord is doing in the midst of the teaching and in the midst of what you have, if he promises that he's at work, then he's at work in your life just like he was at work in my life this morning. We need to start giving praise that gives life to our church body because it's not just what the pastor experiences. So let me go ahead and pray, and then I've got some things on a ministry moment to share with you, and we'll call up the worship team in just a minute. Father, take these words Help apply them in our lives so that as we experience trials of various kinds, we don't end up in this moment where our joy is robbed from us. Instead, we understand a God who lovingly seeks to improve us and mature our character, and that comes through the testing of our faith, all because he wants us to be lacking in nothing. Oh, what a joy! to experience your power and your grace in the midst of trials. Thank you, Father, that it is your intent, it is your purpose that we are lacking in nothing. To you be all glory, Father. Amen.